Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we're bringing something that the people seem to want. A few weeks ago, we released an episode with Jeff Peterson, good friend of the show, called Career Pathways, where we had Jeff just kind of come on and tell his story and give us some insight on his path that he took to get to where he is now. He considered himself a journeyman aquaculturist. Fantastic. And he had some really, yeah, he had some really fun little stories and, uh, you know, kind of a an, an inspirational path that he took. So people who think that they can't achieve certain careers, you know, may, maybe make them feel a little bit better about what steps they can take. Uh, it is possible. And so people seem to really like that. They kind of ate it up. We got some really, really good download numbers. I think people enjoyed hearing those personal stories. So we did it again. Today, we're speaking with another friend of the show who's been on before. You've heard her voice before, Holly Froelich. She's a professor at UC Santa Barbara, and she's done some pretty extensive research on food systems, particularly surrounding aquaculture uh, and their connection with climate change. So really good episode. Holly's a great person. She's a great friend, and she's got some good stories as well. So I hope you guys enjoy it. What did you guys think, Maddie, Justin? Her story was so inspiring because, like she will mention in the episode, but she comes from the desert of New Mexico and was interested in art and music and somehow ended up in the aquaculture space as a professor at a college. So hearing her story was really interesting, yeah. and I'm sure you guys will love it. Yeah, I don't have much more to add other than it's a great story, and she talks about trying different things, and she wasn't really sure what she wanted to do, and when she did, something happened in her story that led her to go down a different path, and it's just really cool to kind of see the stuff she accomplished to get her to where she is right now. I committed the cardinal sin that every podcaster commits at some point in their career <laughs> podcasting, and we got about five-ish, five to Ten minutes into our conversation with her, and I realized I hadn't hit record, so um, we had to backtrack and, and redo it. So there's a little little fumble in the beginning. You'll hear us talk about, but um, that's what happened there. So uh, enjoy the episode, and we'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Let's try this again. I'm going to fully admit what happened this time. Last time, I was able to cover it up. We, nice. we restarted and I was able to cover it up. But I made the classic mistake of starting our episode without pressing record. It's happened to every podcaster out there at least once, probably <laughs> three, four times. I'm not proud of it, but it happened and I'm facing it. So we're going to start over. How's it going, Holly? <laughs> it's great. You get to hear about my childhood <laughs> twice, so yeah. you're welcome in advance. Well, it's 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 a great story. Um, just to give the setup again, we had such a good intro, and I we we totally lost it. But what I mentioned the first time was that we did an episode with our good friend Jeff Peterson, who came on and talked about his career pathway and how he got to where he is, and told some really cool, fun, interesting stories that he experienced throughout his life and stuff. And people ate it up, and it was a really really popular episode. People like hearing these stories, and I think it's kind of a inspiration for some young people to hear like the path that these people take to get to these positions that they may aspire to be in like 
make them feel like I can actually do this because at my age, this person was, you know, slinging fish feed on a farm or whatever, um, just like I am, you know, I, you know, I can only get in this technician job, but maybe down the road, it'll lead to something more. And so, um, I think these stories are really important and I'm really glad that you're able to join us and I want to have you go ahead and just start from the beginning with who you are and where you came from again. Awesome. Thank you. I, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be here. And I, I kind of echo that perspective of like being able to see people that um, look like you or do things that don't seem to kind of fit exactly what you would imagine for a particular career path is just, it's so important. I mean, I as I was kind of alluding to in our, um, you know, test intro, it was all very well planned. Don't, don't say it wasn't. Um, <laughs> Uh, that it was really the incredible instructors that I had um, when I went to community college because I I grew up in New Mexico in a little town called Rio Rancho which is just outside of Albuquerque not a lot of water as I noted um, out that's there. the most New Mexican sounding town I've ever heard of <laughs> Rio Rancho yeah like that's it, that's out of that's straight out of a cartoon yeah it 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 really is Bugs Bunny is right down the road. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I mean, I, so I did a lot of outdoorsy stuff when I was little going to, to reservoirs because that's what we have. I mean, you have the Rio Grande there, but you have the big places to go like Lake Powell, Elephant Butte, which are not real lakes, but that's the best we got, uh, in a place like New Mexico. So, so, you know, that's, that's where I got my intro to like fishing and being gross and dirty and hiking and all the things that I, I now adore and love. Um, but it definitely did not stick. Uh, initially, like both my parents are giant nerds. They're both scientists, which more often than not, kids don't want to be their parents as much as they try. And then we all ultimately end up being very similar. Right. To our and what did you say your parents do? Did you say your mom was a neuropsychologist? Neuropsychology. Uh, and my dad's an astrophysicist. That's actually why my name is Holly, H-A-L-L-E-Y. Uh, cause the comet, Holly's comet was going by when I was yep. born. Um, and so I'm named after Edmund Halley. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That is really so much nerd going on in that. That is so nerdy. I love it. So goddamn nerdy. Yeah. uh, Well, at least you don't have to celebrate your birthday every time it comes around. That's right. I would be. I would only be two. Uh, It's coming back when I'm seventy-five. So, so our youngest guest (laughs) is on today. Oh my god. Yeah. So, um, I should have had my daughter come on for all different perspectives from two-year-olds. Oh, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) She might have, uh, more thought provoking things to say, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, they're, they're both super nerdy and lovely humans. Um, they, they ended up getting divorced, which just added to my, to my angstiness of all teenagers, which meant that I was super not going to be a scientist. As I said, I was going to be an artist and live my truth in my um, music. I tried to be a guitarist. That failed. I'm very bad at it. But I was, I was a bit, I was okay at art. Um, and so I started into fashion design um, in college, going to community college, because at 18, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was, I was just like, do I want to go into fashion design? Do I want to, like, I, I need a job to pay bills and, you know, live on my own. And um, fashion design seemed like the least terrible idea to be an artist. And I quickly realized taking courses that it was more about business than anything else. Like I was going to work in textiles if I was going to work in fashion. Um, And that was a harsh reality and pill to swallow. Fortunately though, everybody 
who gets the opportunity to go to college, which should be more people. And um, I was exposed to biology and anthropology and animal behavior and started taking those classes more and more. And it was really kind of two professors um, that really opened my eyes on the things in life that that potentially I could could lead. One in particular was this really awesome anthropologist. He was brand new to the, the community college and um, had studied howler monkeys in the jungle and spent like five years of his life uh, studying them living in the jungle. Um, and it, that was kind of a really aha moment for me of like, you can choose this as a life choice. You could live in a jungle and sort of get paid to do it and just like ask questions and, and look at and how people and, and primates and whatever, pick your favorite animal, um, interact in the world. Like that was pretty amazing. Also, he was covered in tattoos and that was just like, there you go. Okay. So did you have a facepalm moment of, oh my God, I'm going to be a scientist. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Eventually, when I was like, I think I want to go, I think I want to continue my education. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit of like, well, I tried really hard uh, to avoid the inevitable. But um, so I ended up going to UC Davis. So I did the transfer agreement program that California has, which is just killer. If, if people don't know. That is amazing. And I wish more states yeah. had that because I know I have some friends that did that in California and it seems like the coolest thing ever. Can you explain it a little bit? Yeah. So the whole idea is that not everybody uh, knows exactly what they want to do when they're 18 or they're 30, um, but 18 in particular. Quoting me. <laughs> yeah, including all of us. That, yeah, that classic saying. So the idea is that there's a lot of debt that goes into attending, say, an R1 university like UC Santa Barbara or UC Davis, and not everybody has the funds to be able to do that, and I certainly didn't and didn't know what I wanted to do, so why would I go to a four-year if I still am like really figuring it out? So um, what the transfer program does through the UC system is that if you meet certain criteria of classes and number of units, then you can apply uh, to get access to the remaining kind of upper division classes and you get your degree from the UC as a result. So all your lower division classes can be uh, met through uh, junior college and then you don't incur debt as a result. So I have zero student debt because I did the transfer program. Like, woof. Yeah. That's it's amazing. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of kind of... If you want to take on some of mine, I'm happy to share. Oh, that's if you're, very if, you're, if you're feeling left out, just throwing it out there. Oh, that's so nice of you. I really well, you I, know, I'm a nice guy. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's no joke. I mean, so many people, education and exposure to to these types of things is amazing. But it's also like, holy smokes, to be able to afford something like that is becoming ever out of reach for a lot of people. Right. Um, and this is one way that I found that was really incredible. And the only thing is, is that I found that there's a bit of skepticism of like, how good is that education then? And what are your qualifications? And, you know, are you really knowledgeable in X, Y, and Z? Um, if you're a transfer student versus a full four, yeah, exactly. That's my face too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I actually got a really awful NSF review that basically said that um, of like, what is my quote unquote intellectual merit given that I hadn't uh, graduated from a four-year college yeah, traditionally. Yeah. Oh my um, gosh. Jokes that's, on them. That's I got so the, American. 
It's so American. Yeah, right? So American. Um, jokes on them. I got the NSF the second round, and now I'm a professor. So there you go. <laughs> so yeah, so I went to UC Davis, and it's wonderful and amazing, and it was how I really, honest to goodness, started getting into fisheries um, and aquaculture. So um, I had to do a senior thesis. My degree was in animal biology, and it was one of only two departments at that time or degrees at that time that required a senior thesis. And so I needed to hunt out on a lab that would take me in and allow me to do something um, related to animal biology, right? And so I was, of course, like, well, sharks are pretty cool. So well, yeah, I mean, come <laughs> maybe. on. And uh, there was a, a shark expert um, at UC Davis. And of course, that is a very niche and small group of people. Um, and I don't know if you know, there's just not a lot of sharks um, in Davis. There's not a lot of so, sharks anywhere. Yeah, at, right oh, now. Touche. Yeah. But especially Davis, the whole lack of water thing and salt and all of that. Yeah, um, right, right. <laughs> So Key ingredients yeah, the ingredients to, to then even start and try to have sharks to, yeah. So <laughs> they offered the opportunity to work in um, Joe Check's lab, which he was a, he's a famous fish physiologist and probably the nicest human I've ever met in my life. Every time you met him, he was nicer, which doesn't even, so he, Well, I'll tell you what, we would love to get his contact information, have him on the show if you still are in contact with him. I, I am. I'm still the... He's amazing. I haven't talked to him in a while, but um, I always try to reach out to my old lab um, when I'm around Sacramento. But yeah, so Joe Check, he is just this, he literally wrote the book, like one of the first books on fish physiology. Oh, wow. And in particular, studying what temperature does uh, to phys physiology and growth. And he um, was working on white sturgeon at the time um, and starting to study green sturgeon as well, which are threatened and endangered species in California, um, as well as other reaches of the, the Western states. And um, so I started working with some physiology and started um, tracking and tagging different sturgeon um, at the Center for Aquatic Biology and Aquaculture. And so we started really dedicating uh, a lot of time by we, I mean, me, including the like manager, uh, Dennis Cockrell, who was just stellar he was he was really amazing on trying to get me involved in as much fish everything as possible so like if we had to go out and go fishing for a week uh for hardhead minnow which are these endemic species of california for like three months every week we'd go fishing every day for like 20 hour days which to some fishermen sound amazing in terms of getting paid to do that but by the like second month of fishing i was like okay this has been really great but I don't want to do this anymore because you can't drink beer on the job for one. Right. And, it's uh, not fishing that, like when most people think of fishing. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not, not quite the same. proper fishing. A little yes, bit more proper. sampling than fishing, right? Exactly. Yeah. But it was that kind of stuff of just like getting me embedded and involved in that world. And in particular, uh, kind of the sturgeon side of things, um, I started really getting invested in wanting to do more with uh, helping raise the sturgeon and that lab in particular, unbeknownst to me at the time, was one of the first, like, honest to goodness, conservation aquaculture sites in the United States for white sturgeon. Um, so white sturgeon have struggled in a lot of regions um, because of overfishing, loss of habitat, uh, diversions of water, all of those things. And white sturgeon, through a series of 
kind of coincidental events um, for the caviar market, as well as uh, the restoration kind of mm. mounted um, in this little, you know, Davis town at the time in like the 1970s. And I got to then come in in the early 2000s to kind of continue that and be part of that, that legacy uh, for aquaculture, which, you know, again, was lost on me at that time. But now kind of retrospectively looking back, I'm like, oh, man, this was this was a fish gateway for me. Had I not been involved in this lab and that in that facility, um, I likely wouldn't have stayed uh, in in the fish world, legitimately. Well, and sturgeon are an oh amazing, right. looking oh, ancient, awesome. ancient yes. fish. They're yeah. dinosaurs. Yeah. So cool. They are. Yeah, they don't even have a spinal cord. That's how old they are. We should uh, knowledge wow. dropped. Add a picture to the show notes so that people can take a look. Yeah, at Yeah, you fish. should definitely. Yeah, they're for sure. just so weird and cool and right. Like and they're there is a decent amount of sturgeon farming happening in different parts of the world. But uh, like yeah. you were saying, most of the time they they're farmed for caviar because their meat is not their flesh exactly. is not really I you know yeah it's desired. Not- <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're they're chondric these, so they they're made out of cartilage. Yeah, right. Um, and so they're more kind of closely in in line to the kind of shark shark world, and the texture is very similar to that. Uh, but I have had sturgeon jerky, which is sturkey, de- sturkey. Yeah, nice. Which is pretty good. It's not, it's not too jerky. bad. Um, but yeah, so worked in with sturgeon for a really long time, and and ended up having just like so much adoration and love for those those creatures and um they they really are just incredible if you ever get a chance to to interact with them they're you know they like most fish they'll respond to the person that is feeding them and all of those things and sturgeon in particular if you put your hand in the water they'll come up and and nuzzle your hand (laughs) Um, i mean it's real cute and the barbels look like little whiskers that they're very they have very dog-like qualities i told i know i'm anthropomorphizing at this point but um you know no, I, I used to work at um, Mystic Aquarium for a little bit with yeah. the cow nose stingrays. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're like little puppies. They're, they you know, are. It's, it's, it must be a chondrichthys thing where they yeah. just, they're just lovey because like you feel like each one has a personality and they like to be pet and they come up and they like come yeah. with you. They're and then you're like, this is a stingray. Like this could hurt me, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. one of them chomps on your finger with like, you know, the plier teeth and you hate your life for the next two days, but it was worth it. Yeah. Fortunately, uh, with the, um, sturgeon, they just have suckers for mouths. And so very little, I mean, their, their scoots are the most concerning, but the ones in captivity are so worn down that you don't have that risk. So Mm -hmm. I remember when I was Uh, working at the new England aquarium, there was a big news that someone had spotted a sturgeon in the Charles River. Really? Yeah. They were like, this is a sign that the river is getting clean. And no one believed him because it's like the Charles River is never going to be clean. But right. <laughs> Don't fool yourself. But it was yeah. it was like this huge headline. <laughs> and like we were constantly getting asked about, what do you what can you tell me about the sturgeon in the Charles? And we're like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you It was one sighting and yeah. it's been confirmed. <laughs> one guy said he saw it. There's a blurry yeah. picture. It's like a like a cryptid. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, that's I mean, that's not far off from uh some of the the tributaries and stuff here. So yeah, but they're amazing creatures and um I fell in love with them and but but I ended up kind of really still wanting to work in the marine environment. Like that I still wasn't done. I you know, I got a close facsimile to to the shark minus the like really um 
the cool stuff. The, the, yes. I mean, not saying that surgeons <laughs> aren't cool, but they're not quite as charismatic. As, they don't have rows of sharp teeth. <laughs> they do not. Yeah. They don't necessarily instill that fear. Um, that, that <laughs> yes. The yeah. shark eyes. The black eyes. Like a doll. So eyes. scary. And I love them so much. <laughs> Yeah, so I ended up wanting to apply to a program that for graduate school because um, I ended up working as a technician for about three, three and a half years at UC Davis in Caba um, and really wanted to kind of push that forward, maybe get my master's, maybe get my PhD. I wasn't quite sure. Um, but I found the University of Washington and having the like top tier in terms of fishery science in the nation and was lucky enough to, to find an advisor who really saw um, potential and um, gave me the opportunity to work in his lab. So Tim Essington is a food and marine ecologist. And so I started working in his lab. I was able to start around uh, 2010. And I was, again, going to study marine fish. I was going to study sharks. It was going to be amazing. Um, and then like field work happens and you don't catch any fish and all of a sudden you're an invertebrate ecologist. Day one, out of the gate, this girl. <laughs> so I went back on the evolutionary chain um, because we went out my first day of graduate school um, was in the field. And uh, we had to go trawling for um, English sole and Dungeness crab and um, all sorts of critters that we were going to try to tag and track for this hypoxia study. That was going to be um, my project. And so we get out on the boat and uh, Tim told me um, as we're driving up, because it's about a two or three hour drive from Seattle out to where my field site was, which was uh, Hood Canal. And um, Hood Canal ends up being a really awesome place to study uh, because it's relatively close by, um, but had they, it experiences these very severe hypoxic or low oxygen events, these fish kills uh, pretty frequently. And they seem to be getting worse. And so we wanted... And when you say where it's to be more frequent or... Yeah, so more frequent, um, more persistent. It's always kind of there because the... So it's part of Puget Sound, which is the huge kind of estuarine system, the fjordic system um, that's part of Washington State. And Hood Canal is just the way that its bathymetry is. So it has a giant sill in the in the opening. Um, and then it just kind of peters out and gets super, super deep and then shallows up at the end. Um, and it's about, I think, 110 kilometers long. So it's quite, quite large. And it experiences hypoxia in some way, shape or form every summer. Like without doubt, it will be there, but how bad it is and whether it upwells into the, the shallows kind of changes from season to season a bit. But long tracking of this of the, the systems show that it, it may be getting worse, but what is driving that is, is still up for debate, um, though it's looking like, well, the southern reaches are very human-induced from uh, septic systems. And as you move uh, closer to the opening or the sill mouth of, of Hood Canal, it's more driven by the oceanographic conditions where you can get this upwell of low oxygen from the ocean and can totally upend gotcha. everything. So... Sorry, I no, not at all. Tangent. Yeah, I mean, I have to remember this stuff. I was, yeah, it's, it's a good test. Good. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually working for him. <laughs> I knew you to see if, Yeah, <laughs> Timothy. Undercover. Yeah. Um, so first day on the job, we're on this boat. Tim is like, you can't throw a rock in Hood Canal without hitting an English soul, and I was like, 
All right, so like shooting fish in a barrel. This is gonna be great. 15 hours in, we have not caught an English sole. Wow. And we did catch some that were small, that were you know this big, but they had to be a couple feet. Uh, to tag. To tag them, right, exactly. Like their peritoneal cavity is really, really small. And so you need to get a really big fish to put in a tag uh, to be able to track them because you have to surgically open it, put it in there um, and seal them back up. And because they are flat and um, their cavity is so small, it can create a lot of issues if the tag's too big for the body. So, you know, for any fish that we did get from the trawl, it was just not big enough. And finally, 20 hours in, we were able to catch, I think it was 14 out of a 20 hour day of trawling. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty great. And at that point, you know, we still hadn't tagged most of our uh, Dungeness, which were a separate projects. Uh, and Tim basically looked at me and was like, you're going to be a crab scientist now. I hope you're okay with that. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I mean, now I'm like, yeah, crabs are the best. And I love them so much. Dungeness forever. Uh, but man, yeah, that was, that was rough. And that ended up being a 22 and a half hour work day my first day of graduate school. And I was yeah. just like, I don't know. What did I get myself what into? Is yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> this was a bad idea. Yeah. So, yeah. But it ended up being a really a blessing in disguise. And, um, and, and that really kicked it off for an awesome kind of friendship and uh, relationship with my, with my advisor at the time. Like, the, nothing builds kind of that bond with your advisor, like working... 22 hour days uh, out of the gate in the wilderness so God, i can imagine yeah but it was it was great in the end and we got some really good solid research out of it and that that literally got me hooked and um no pun hooked. intended <laughs> it was <laughs> and yeah so i did that for five years and then got a postdoc in santa barbara as one does and what, what made you uh, start looking into more climate change stuff because i know that's a big focus on what you do yeah so a lot of it was linked to the hypoxia work that i did um, because hypoxia low oxygen conditions um obviously are heavily influenced by temperature um and other kind of attributive factors that are involved with human disturbance like septic systems, things like that. So um, anthropogenic impacts were kind of a theme throughout a lot of my research and trying to understand in particular uh, what those effects, indirect and direct effects, mean for, in particular, things we like to harvest. So some of the other species that I studied during that time included Pacific herring, um, in addition to Dungeness crab. So for me, it was it was something that I found really rewarding in trying to understand what those impacts are. And then ultimately, what does that mean for how we manage those systems? Because in the end, like we can measure these impacts until the cows come home. But if we don't have any sort of recommendation or way of getting that science into a form or into the hands of the people that make the decisions around, around how things are managed, um, it's, you know. It's, it's kind all of for not, yeah. all for not. So, and, and I ended up working really closely with uh, the Department of Fish and Wildlife um, up in Washington 
and uh, a couple of the tribes up there as well, who are obviously heavily invested in Dungeness crab. It's, it's more important now than uh, the wild salmon there in terms of wow. value. And which is right, like yeah, what that's wow. again. That's yeah. really yeah. So Dungeons have really kind of <laughs> taken over, and so that was really important to me to still have that human human dimension in a lot of my work and um, what that means in terms of these larger climate based uh, implications. And then I got the opportunity to kind of traverse back to the aquaculture world after you know sturgeon to wild fisheries and then back again in California at the University of California, Santa Barbara at, at NCs. So the National Center for Ecological Analysis and Synthesis, um, which is this really cool organization that's, that's linked to UC Santa Barbara that tries to leverage existing data sources, um, usually at the global level. Um, to, to pull out kind of patterns across the globe to understand what those implications may be for humans or systems, conservation and management. Um, and my particular project was focused on the sustainability of offshore aquaculture. So at that point, I, had, I didn't have a lot of knowledge in offshore aquaculture when I started, right? Most of my aquaculture experience was very localized. And up to that point, the fishery stuff I did was mostly regional. But I did do a lot of modeling and statistical training and um, data management and that kind of stuff. stuff. So that fit yeah. really nice. Yeah, all the stuff that are really, that's really exciting. Um, I mean, now it is. It's an entire world that people are so invested in. I mean, the R world, the R programming world is, is incredible. Yeah. So I started studying that and that has led to the path of really just heavily focusing on climate change, aquaculture and interactions with wild fisheries in the marine environment. And now that's, that's what I now dedicated. I've been now doing it for over five years of merging all my worlds together over a, mm-hmm. over a 15 year career now. Um, and it's, I, I am so thrilled that I was able to be at the right place at the right time with amazing colleagues. Like I've been working with Ben Halpern a lot, who was the PI on the, the sustainable offshore aquaculture project. And, um, you know, he's a leader in conservation of marine systems and, um, you know, was instrumental in the marine protected areas that are here off the, off the coast of California. Um, and now, you know, him and I are very much in sync of trying to study where aquaculture fits into the larger foodscapes and conservation and you know, the, the broader topic of feeding humanity, you know, yeah, the little, little things. things. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's just been, yeah, pretty incredible. And I have to say the, the people in aquaculture, you guys, and just the collective people invested in research and the industry are just so lovely. Like it's been a really pleasant. Well, it's uh, too bad that we're not videotaping this, that it's, you know, so they can't really see how <laughs> lovely we are, but thank you. You're so lovely. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. It's just, it's been a, it's been a really positive experience um, being able to get a little more embedded mm. at the global scale and national scale uh, in, in aquaculture. So yeah, I feel very. Well, I think it's really important just that you had this journey and, you know, as you were trying to navigate to figure out what you really wanted to focus on, but because you had this wide wealth and in, in working in both the wild fishery side and then getting into aquaculture and doing all these things, I think you're in a, a really good space now where you can not just, you're not so focused on mm-hmm. one specific area that you've seen everything and it allows you to kind of, I don't know, just if 
I'm trying. I'm, I'm lost my words on how I want to say this, but I, I think it it's very important to have knowledge in other areas in order to be able to work together. I mean, we talk all the time on the show of it's not wild versus yeah. farm. We have to be collaborative and we have to work together. But me personally, I my background now is just in the aquaculture space because of where I work for. But if I had this this knowledge, and I think we're gaining that through this this podcast because we're talking to people in the industry yeah. as a whole and that just you know bringing everyone together with this, with this wide range of knowledge is just is useful so we can kind of meet that end goal and, and working collaboratively so that was kind of a giant ramble that probably made no sense no i think I, it totally I made concluded, sense no but. i think i think you hit the nail on the head here where it's like there there's always this kind of struggle a bit i find um in education in general and in, in academia of like what's the the challenge or the reward of being you know interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary versus very siloed and targeted and narrow and focused um and you know i think it it depends on what what you're interested in and you know the to your point i think being interdisciplinary you can reach out and work with a lot of amazing people that kind of check all those boxes and it ends up creating space for a lot of really awesome collaborative work and that you can align yourself with the people that are, you know, specific experts in seafood trade, right? Like my path now has led me to work with Dr. Jessica Geppert really closely, who I absolutely adore. And she's just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to things that, you know, I am not an expert in, but man, she's literally building the model uh, to disaggregate trade globally of identifying what's wild and what's farmed, right? So yeah. that type of stuff is like, oh man, and then seeing how that ties into some research that we need to do on an, another project, it just ends up being um, so positive in creating that space to do more. And then it almost ends up being more okay. thorough because of that. So I think it's just always better to have a more broad scope because then you can involve these other people who have different perspectives, different backgrounds, different specializations. And then the end result ends ends up being stronger and better in yeah, some different I, ways. Definitely it's it's I agree. It's really not only creates really comprehensive and good science, but it also just makes it more interesting. Like you get to interact with way more people um, and get to be involved in like the social dimension and the ecology and the fisheries. And you know, so and, and what we're starting to learn, especially when it comes to management and conservation, is that you can't keep people separate from these topics. Like humans are embedded into the systems. And so pretending that they're not does us a real disservice in trying to understand uh, what the actual kind of targeted things that can be addressed um, and how we can do that and, and move forward in that that kind of capacity so we're getting a lo little low on time uh, i had a couple more <laughs> questions and I, you're probably sick of of being asked about this or talking about this but can you give us a quick one to two minute uh story time about how you ended up sitting down and talking with our um every every nerds lord and savior bill nye on his new show <laughs> yeah sure um again right place right time weird weird circumstance um yeah twitter so i uh ended up participating in uh a hashtag that was going around because uh bill ended up you know we're on a first name basis now right right well everyone is with him right 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 yeah right. uh mr <laughs> science guy he um 
covered a topic that he was not an expert in, nor could he be, right? You can't be uh, an expert in everything. And the science Twitter world kind of came up and said, you know, instead of trying to cobble together stuff you think you know, like we're here as a resource. Um, and so the hashtag Bill Nye meets science Twitter uh, ended up trending. Um, and so I participated in that and had a little blurb that said something to the effect of like, uh, I'm a marine ecologist and I study uh, fisheries and aquaculture to study the future of seafood or, or something like that. And they ended up reaching out to me and asking if I wanted to be involved on a on a show and they didn't at first say what it was and so I was like is this a, I'm pretty sure this is a scam like right. the minute <laughs> then they asked for my credit card information and my maiden name like yeah, yeah. exactly so I was like this is a bit right. dodgy so finally I was like listen you you got to tell me what what this is for what I what do you want yeah. um and I'm too smart to not do my homework on this. Yeah, exactly. I was like, this seems, I mean, this, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this was another like, test really to, really to see if you were really worthy. Um, and so they, they uh, kind of let me in on, on the secret that he was filming the, the second season and wanted to do something about food. Um, and so I got the opportunity to go to LA on uh, the soundstage for Sony and got to hang out with Bill Nye and he was, so lovely like he we had oh, lunch yeah, together imagine. and like his uh his room was right next to mine like it wasn't this huge you know high level hollywood guy or whatever um and he like snuck us into one of the the back lots where um wizard of oz was filmed while we were like, oh cool break. yeah it was pretty rad um and they were really open to wow feedback that i had on some of the script because i came in i was like oh clearly they'll like tell me we had worked together over time to like figure out what the the thing that what we were gonna walk like, right, right. yeah so and we landed on fcrs because that ended up uh being kind of a really somewhat easy thing to grasp um and translate in in visual form and um I walk in, I'm like, all right, they're going to give me like, just say this. And they're like, okay, here's all of Bill's script. Now you just say whatever you want. And I was like, what do you mean? Uh, like, what am I? Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, this is going to go terribly. Um, but the script that they did have, they had things about like, oh, the ocean is completely overfished. And I was like, oh, that's not true. Like, can you guys yeah. change that? It's, you know, only 33.1% of stocks are overfished. And they're like, oh, yeah. So they changed it. So they were really receptive. And, and the staff there, like, all have science backgrounds, um, which made it that, yeah, pretty that easy. They're like, oh, yeah, we, we want to get it right. So, yeah. So it was weird. So I did that. And um, definitely a, a bucket list item because I used to watch him when I was little. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we all did. Well, all the nerds, at least. Yeah, we all, all the nerds. He is he is our uh, you know our ultimate uh, dream <laughs> guest cool. the show. We're gonna need to start a campaign to to get Bill on Aquademia. Nice. There you go. Yeah, maybe we should start a hashtag on Twitter. I was gonna say now that you mentioned Twitter, <laughs> Sean has probably tweeted yeah. at him like seventeen times in the last minute. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm so uh, bad at Twitter. Don't you know, know I didn't doing. do that. Although I I, I will will um we 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 need to to. Uh, we need to end this conversation, unfortunately, um, because we do have to get running to some other calls. But we will make sure to link to that episode uh, in the show notes. And we'll also link to Holly's Twitter if she's OK with that. Oh, yeah. yeah you I, know are I follow great you on Twitter, Twitter and follow. you have some really good stuff that I just oh, kind of constantly retweet. And, you know, I, I think, like I said yeah, in the beginning, I'm really glad that you were able to join us. And I think you you can be an inspiration for 
young women all around the world who would like to get into science and really, you know, want to have a, you know, end up in a career like you are. Um, and I'm sure you're going to continue to adapt and evolve into other careers down the road as well, because you're young and successful. And that's what we all want to be. And so. you keep mentioning that you were in the right place at the right time. But I would like to point out that I'm sure that there was a lot of hard work between to get you to that right place at the right time. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. major it's, kudos oh, yeah, to you. I worked my ass off, that's for you sure. Put, yeah. You put yourself will, there. It's not luck. Two ways about that, but... <laughs> yeah, 22 hours right, on a right. boat and you can have a drink that's the real struggle i hope well, that's what you walked away with i'm yeah. very excited about yeah. That. <laughs> yeah well i hope that we can find a, a bill nye of, of yeah the that's science world it. um that's a woman in the future so maybe it's that. maybe it'll be you or maddie oh, or I, justin yeah i love it uh, i love it <laughs> um Thanks so much. I had I had a couple more questions, but you know we're we're, we're going long, and that's my fault because I <laughs> messed us up in the beginning. But I have no doubt that you'll be on the show again because you know you're a good friend of the show. Yeah. We like having our uh, guests come back and talk with us again. And I do. I'm, I'm in the process. Every, I tell this to a lot of people. We're we're building towards a, a big, maybe two episode roundtable type discussion um, about women and seafood. So oh, I think it would I be a great it. conversation. So keep on lookout for that because you'll probably be getting an email from us. Um, Excellent. Yeah, I, I'll give you some good names. We have a, a abalone Ooh. farmer manager here. She's she's awesome um, and should be on your show. Uh, Devin Spencer, man, she's she's killer at the, the cultured abalone here. So please yeah. do. So listeners, make sure you follow Holly on Twitter or wherever she's comfortable having you follow her. And uh <laughs> You're okay if we put your contact information? Yeah, absolutely. In the show yeah. notes? Great. So reach out to her if you have any more questions or you want to, um, you know, <laughs> intern for her or something. I don't know. Just um, make sure to reach out to her because she's a great person and we love having her on. And Thanks for joining. Thanks so, much, so for much, Holly. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Holly. Bye, guys. Thank you. Folks, that was our conversation with Holly Froelich. I hope you enjoyed it as always and i hope you got a little bit of inspiration if you liked it be sure to give us a review on apple podcasts and subscribe and if you know someone who also has a very interesting seafood story to tell reach out to us follow us on twitter at aquademia pod do not call and leave us a voicemail because we are not in the office but you can also reach out to us through email which is podcast at aquaculturealliance.org as Maddie said, leave those ratings and reviews and subscribe wherever you are listening right now because we are obviously there. And if you subscribe, we will deliver episodes to your device every week automatically. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Ciao.